From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Welcome to Needle Exchange, conversations on the art of thread. Leave Enroute is a Los Angeles-based artist whose vibrant, tufted artworks are a new form of folk storytelling. These large-scale pieces simultaneously explore two realms of the female experience, joy and pain, and are packed with instinctual colour choices that make them visually arresting. Among other things, we talk about the perceived novelty of tufted rugs as an art form and how Leave's rural upbringing influenced her aesthetic and grounded her work. Be sure to visit our YouTube channel where you can see Leaves work in glorious detail. And if you enjoyed our needle exchange, please share it with your fellow creatives. Enjoy the show. I read somewhere that you've had about 35 different jobs. And I oh, wondered yeah, yeah. what were some of your favorites and what were some of yours? Because I've had about 20, I think I had 27 jobs. But I was like, whoa, oh. this lady's had lots more than me. So Probably the most surreal one was like I was a janitor at my old high school. I grew up in a really small town in Wisconsin. So there's like 700 people. And so everybody knows everybody. And um, it's a longer story. But I was, tr- I was angling to get this job in Antarctica as a janitor at McMurdo Research Station. And so you needed a year and a half of institutional janitorial experience. And so I, um, I got a job at my old high school and everyone was all leave. What happened? You know, there's still hope. And I'm like, no, it's fine. You know, I didn't want to tell them like the longer story. Cause I thought I'd get fired or something. So, um, yeah, so I was there for like a year and a half and then I didn't end up doing the job. I got the job, but then I, you know, other things came up. So it was kind of a totally like failed experiment um (laughs) or whatever um that one was weird uh yeah I mean I 
I've trimmed weed before that was legal and stuff and that, but that was, that was comfortable. So I could just do that from wherever. Um, and oh boy, I was, a, I was a welder for this, like this guy used to be a bully at my high school. He was a jerk. <laughs> and then, but I kind of like needed a job. So, and he was being a little bit nicer then. And then it turned into, yeah, he doesn't deal well with like rational thought and stuff. So it didn't work out. He got really mad. Um, I couldn't really explain how because it doesn't make sense. But anyway, <laughs> I think he ultimately put all his money into a truck. And so he ended up going broke and kind of blamed me. But I think it was just because his priorities were weird. Um, yeah, lots of stuff like that. Have you had like lots of versions of the same kind of job or have they all been very um, different? Yeah, jobs? I mean, I've, been, I've worked at different restaurants and cafes and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, I was a nanny, you know, a lot of like, child care types of things. I was a nanny in, in Holland and in, in Amsterdam for a while. Um, and then, yeah, every now and then I'll just remember like a random one. I mean, I think I grew up on a farm. So, I mean, I was initially working there and then I was babysitting when I was nine, which is weird because I wouldn't imagine that that's something that like most people would do, but you know, we the most sensible nine year old in town. <laughs> something. I mean, I think actually like, younger kids like they take the responsibility a bit more seriously in a way because you feel like okay you're like i'm i'm on my own i got the you know you're set up for the night you you kind of <laughs> like i think i took it more seriously um because because it was this opportunity and but yeah it was definitely like there was one kid i remember i was trying to lift him above my head to put him in this bouncy thing and i dropped him you know but he, he landed on a bed so i didn't hurt him but just something like that i was like i was just too i wasn't strong enough to like lift the kid <laughs> so i don't think it was i mean uh mentally i was there physically i i couldn't uh swing it all the time um i was pretty scrappy um but yeah so i mean from there and then i was like working at all these odd job things around the country where you just kind of get thrown into it um, and not with, with no money really, you know, I think I made like $3 an hour once babysitting three kids for like eight hours a day. I mean, it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, in terms of it prepared me for art. Cause it's like a lot of work, no money. I was like, here, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'll do that for the next 30 years. <laughs> that sounds yeah, like yeah. fun. Um, yeah. Cause I, I mean, I had lots of different jobs. I think like I worked in a sandwich factory. That was probably one of my weirdest ones, a sort of factory that would produce like 100,000 sandwiches a night and you'd be on a conveyor belt. And I remember like eight hours doing like tomato, tomato, tomato. Yeah, you're I mean, just like, I, I love Lucy, just eating the sandwiches. And, <laughs> and just, well, yeah, at the start, do you know what? The first time you do it, you just like, you can't look a sandwich in the face for the first couple of days. But then after that, you get yeah. cheap sandwiches. So you're just all over it, really. But but I always, I just like the, like the people, you know, and the, and the things that people will do when you do jobs that you don't like doing, but then you see people that are doing them and the reasons why they're doing them. And often the, you know, the things people are willing to put up with. Yeah. I used to, I mean, that's the thing. When I think of all the coworkers, all the different people I've got to know, especially that janitor job, like it was, it was pretty funny to just, just have these older lady friends. They were like 70, you know, I'm like, Hey, Joanne, Hey, you know, um, and then eventually I was doing portraits because I was also doing, always doing like art things on the side to try to make money. So at one point I was, you know, I did several portraits of other janitors, you know, for, for their, for their families and whatever. So it also like direct, when I look through art that I've done, there's all these years of like, oh yeah, I remember that, you know, doing these, um, uh, just portraits, I think mostly in like, I think I was doing like pastel or in acrylic at that time. 
Um, so it is also like segued into my art in, in funny ways. Um, yeah. And yeah. so, and so you studied fine art first and then went and did a master's subsequently, right? Yeah, I did. Um, so in Wisconsin, I went to a state school called the University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And I studied painting there and then graduated when I was 21. And then I took kind of like 10 years, I would say, between until I went again to grad school at Rutgers and again for painting mm. both times. Yeah. And what, because I've never, like, I've got no artistic education whatsoever. I'm a total charlatan. But when you go and do a master's, like, what, what's the, the approach? Like, what kind of stuff do you end up doing when you're at that level of that type of education? I mean, it's, yeah, it's interesting because, like, I, uh, it's, you know, it's, they're usually like a two or three year program. And it's, it kind of based, it depends on the school. I mean, I think you apply to the schools that fit most with what you want to deal with. And, and I think for, Rutgers at the time, it was really studio based. So we were kind of like really, you know, you had a lot of time in your studio and it was a lot of feedback. And, um, you know, obviously you had these professors, but like kind of varying levels of it, of engagement in some ways. I mean, it's kind of driven by your classmates in, in a lot of ways. Um, so I, for me, it was just like the big thing that I noticed was just having that, that time. I mean, I, I was, I got a, a fellowship and so I didn't have, I taught a couple classes, but I didn't have to work outside of that program. So after having all these years of, you know, zipping around with all these different jobs, just having a studio and having that time to dedicate to it. Like I just, I was just able to like work out a lot of ideas really. And then, and then for better or worse, get a lot of feedback. You know, sometimes it was um, difficult and good, but at the same time, it was so close to New York that you also just get to, I was at, you know, Rutgers is in New Jersey and it's uh, just a little short train ride to get to New York. So it was a combination of like working a lot in my studio, seeing a lot of art, having a lot of conversations. And then that kind of set me up to just have a more serious studio practice afterwards. Whereas before I kind of would go through longer periods of not making things or, or making different kinds of things all over the place just to, to make money in a way, like the janitor portraits. And <laughs> I was welding <laughs> for a while. I did all these different things. So um, yeah, I think that just made a, a shift in terms of like what I, um, what I wanted, what I did after it's been pretty steady since. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so when you did the masters, when, as you approached going to do that, did you already feel like you knew where your art was coming from and where it was going or were you quite haphazard and then that helped you like crystallize things? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, um, from what I was making before, um, until after there was a big, I think a big change. And I really didn't, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, and that's kind of gave me a lot of anxiety. Like when I showed up, I was definitely, um, I mean, I drove, I was so stressed out cause I got this scholarship and I kept thinking, well, like, I don't know, cause not everybody did. So I think, God, why, why me? I don't deserve it. What if I don't know what I'm talking about? I've been in the woods. Cause I was living in like my great aunt's old farmhouse, like really removed from like all art scenes and whatnot. I was helping my aunt fix up this house. I was welding. I was doing all these random odd jobs in the country where I'm from for about five years before that. So I really thought like, oh no, I'm an imposter. Like they're going to, they're going to find <laughs> out. So I was so stressed out. I drove, you know, I don't know, 18 hours straight in this U-Haul and then moved in the same night. Like I got there and like moved all my stuff in and fell asleep in the middle of the floor. So I think I was like very nervous about, um, not knowing what I was doing and not even sure if like, which is 
you know, whatever imposter syndrome kind of stuff, but, um, mm-hmm. but it was real. And then, and then, uh, yeah. So I think it did help me like crystallize or, or just my, I mean, myself too. I, I learned a lot about how, who I am, I suppose, as an artist, um, during that time, just cause it was this like high pressure thing. Um, and having to teach too, I think really helped, um, just get my own voice and, and kind of figure out how I, what I wanted to think about and talk about. Um, but yeah, I did, I definitely didn't feel super confident at all, uh, coming in and I suppose slightly more confident coming out, but that's never been my main, like strong suit is, I don't know. Yeah. Do you think <laughs> people that have asked me the... if I've been raised Amish? Like, <laughs> they're just like, what's wrong with you? But yeah. <laughs> no, no. But that so that's because like one of the conclusions I reached when I did my like spin back through your entire Instagram, like yeah. to me it's like there's a real like folk art quality to what you do, and in some ways there's also like this indigenous vibe. I think like the use of color and the the approaches that you take in terms of like the format. And I can see there's a shift since you got your new tufted gun as well, which must be badass. We'll talk yeah. about that in a bit. But that kind of indigenous, like, I feel like your grounding in Wisconsin, your upbringing, like folk art, a folk art tradition, but maybe a new spin on that. That's, to me, that's what how I interpret what you're up to. Yeah, and it, for sure. Uh, like, the first thing that kind of got me basically, like, when I was my final semester in grad school, I did my thesis show. It was a painting show. It was good. I liked it. Um, but then I had all this time in, in the month right before we actually moved on or whatever. So I didn't really have a project. So I found that I had found this rug that my grandmother had made. And that would be, like, I considered folk art because she wasn't, you know, trained as an artist. And it was, you know, a rag rug where it's scraps of fabric that were probably... I mean, the way they lived, they never threw anything out. Everything had a second life or third or fourth. And so I'm sure that it was dishcloths and dresses and things that she had lived with. And um, so it had this sentimental meaning because it was, you know, something my grandmother had made. And it was also Mm. this abstract painting to me. Like it looked, people would say like, oh, did you make that? And I'm like, no, my grandma made it, you know, I think in the 40s, I'm not sure. And so I started making paintings of this rug. And then that turned into... Like in that last month, I decided, well, maybe I should make a rug of my paintings. I just thought this kind of like, wow, I don't know. And I, I taught myself how to do it from like just a YouTube video where I was like, rag rug, how to, whatever. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and so it went from there. So, I mean, I think that the the materials have a tradition, you know, in folk art, obviously more than in uh, contemporary art. Um, and then in terms of like the indigenous or, or like sort of, that angle like sometimes I think it's just maybe the element of like ornamentation of the body like the way Mm. that I'm incorporating like images or maybe their tattoos or maybe they're you know like it's like the way that the body and the you know the foreground background everything gets kind of conflated in this weird puzzle it's but but like having those like patterns and having things like going across the body like that definitely has roots in you know whatever, all cultures really, um, yeah. you know, just depends how far back you go. If jewelry, whatever, it's, it's all in there and tattoos. And, um, so it's not like I'm looking specifically at those things and going, Oh, I like this, you know, like, like derivative from all these things, but cause I'm making it up really as I go. I don't really have a lot of, I don't use a lot of like references or, um, 
I mean, I might just look up like today. It's so dumb. I just looked up lake because I was trying to figure out the color, like how a lake would look. And, and, um, you know, so sometimes I'm pretty like ham handed with my, um, with my, uh, sources in a way. Um, but yeah, so maybe, um, yeah, maybe I that's think that's what I was, that's what I was sort of feeling. It feels more like, like to me, it feels like you're channeling your work. Like there's a real kind of rawness to it. And, and it's interesting because that was one of the things I wanted to ask you is like how much planning goes into it or whether they are very much like sort of outpourings because it has that kind of rawness to it. It's really exciting. Yeah, I think there is a directness to it. And that kind of has, that's more about like my own brain. I mean, I think I've always had a pretty hyperactive, um, you know, personality or like my, my mind. And, you know, if I, I, there's, you know, I grew up in the eighties, we didn't even have like a camera at our house. So, but I've seen a couple of videos at like birthday parties of me when I was a kid and I was like, Oh my God, I was so hyper. It was, it's not even cute. It's weird. (laughs) So I think that like, because I grew up in a farm, I could, you know, somebody send me out to do something and like, you know, work and run around at least. And no one cared. It was the eighties. So you just did it. But Um, but I think the way that I approach art is a similar thing. I'll get an idea and it's like just a snap. Like I'll think, okay, these two bodies doing this. And then I'll take a photo of myself because it's just me and Harris. So I get that lined up where I can kind of get an idea of what that would look like physically. And then as long as I get the bodies drawn out, then, then it's, then it's on. So I don't like sit there and like think too much more after that. I kind of start with where the bodies are positioned and then I'll start with the hair. Cause that's always an element of like braided together, kind of tethered this, like, you know, um, in some ways it's like the same, it could be the same person in two different stages. Uh, right. it could be that it's like, you know, the idea of like wanting to be multiple people and have different, like, um, I could have had 70 jobs if I'd been two people, (laughs) but like, uh, yeah, there's that, or it could be like a sisterhood or it could be, you know, this kind of like idea of like collaboration or interconnectedness. So once I do like the bodies and the hair and then the rest is like, just sort of like which idea. So I'll think, okay, well this, I want to do this swan on this hip and this and that. And so it really develops like the one you see behind me, like that's basically, I don't know how many, like 20 hours in or something, maybe more. And then, so I'm still like drawing on it actively. Like I, I don't have everything figured out. And so in that way, it, it keeps it loose so that I can kind of have the impulsive like idea and, and go for it. But then it's also there's slower thinking because they take so long that as I'm working, I can plan the next thing and, and add it in as I go. So it's not like if I had something completely planned out and it was just executing it, I would totally I would have a horrible time that's just not how I operate. And, um, for a long time I was intimidated like this size and, and the new, when I had the new tufting gun, I thought, okay, I have to have it planned out. So I thought I'll change my whole approach and I'll start working on paper and I'll have these studies and I'll have it all done. And then it, it totally didn't, it just never happened. I couldn't do it. I couldn't Mm. like (laughs) decide. And, and so finally when I got into like, I guess these, this kind of system where I was like, okay, I got these things I can, can work with how I, how I think. Then I started to be more relaxed about it. But the first one, I had this huge frame in my studio for probably eight months, just in the middle on these wheels. And I just would go around it. I couldn't, I couldn't work on it because I was too scared that I was going to mess it up. And then I don't know something yeah. happened and I 
figured it out. <laughs> I, for some reason, when you were saying that, I was thinking of almost like some Daffy Duck cartoon of like he's rolling down a hill, he sees yeah. a thing to hold on to, grabs that, and just pulls that down the hill with him. It's almost yeah. like that's what you've ended up doing with the new technology. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, a certain element of slapstick in my life is welcome. And I think that that's like in some ways, even when I'm, because no one can see me, but I like, I'm laughing at myself sometimes because like my instinct, like to try to figure out even like the way some of the bodies are, especially the ones that are upside down. I'm like thinking like, can I hang off the shelf? And, you know, the things that I'm trying to do is like, don't do it. But they're like, but um, yeah, I'm trying to find someone I know who can do a handstand so I can, because I don't think I should try that but, hoisting um, yourself from the ceiling for a day or something yeah yeah there's like some some element of like you know and 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 i want them to be a little bit whimsical or not you know definitely certainly not like like there's they're done in a serious like like they're serious because i'm working on them and i'm and i care about them but they're not serious like i don't want you to i want you to feel like uh entertained and and like engaged and i want them to be accessible and i want them to be like hmm kind of wild and fantastical in this way where yeah, you're yeah, yeah. finding things. And, yeah. I think, and that's, I think the thing, isn't it? Is like your use of color and even the texture itself. I mean, so you've been using tufted rugs as a format for quite a long time. And um, only probably what year, <laughs> where am I? It's uh, probably three years, I suppose, because I got the tufting gun, around the during the pandemic and i and before that i was doing rag rug hooking which is the thing you know the okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah um and then and then i would say the last probably the first piece in like this series where i got really into it was maybe last may or mark like april or something so it was definitely like um i've made a lot you know since since that turning point um but all the other years, you know, I guess I've been doing this since 2011 is when I got out of Rutgers, so I can pretty much track it to that. Um, so the first eight some years was the rag rug hooking, mm. um, and they were abstract for a long time because I was an mm. abstract painter. So I did abstract ones, and then I started doing figurative stuff, and then I, it, and also incorporating painting into that, like adding paint, and and um, and then this has been the last let's say year or two working like this to like two years with a tufting gun um and so far i haven't used paint at all but just just straight yarn um and i do like hand punching so i have a little hand punch tool that i'll do a lot of details with and that's it's just kind of like there's different processes and different things i can do so every day i can even if i'm not feeling it uh to to maybe come up with a lot of details, then I'll do the tufting gun in these bigger sections of color. And then if I have one day where I'm really like listening to some, you know, I don't know, podcast or book on tape or something, then I'll like maybe have the hand tufted day. And so I kind of alternate between uh, processes so that I can, you know, make the most of my time, I guess, and just kind of keep plugging away. Cause they do take, I mean, when I think I've, when I do track the hours, it's maybe, you know, something like 80 hours on a big piece, just, you know, uh, going for it. So yeah, they, it's, it's a long process in a way, or it's, it's a lot of hours to, to, and yet, to I there. suppose 
now with the gun, you can get almost like total coverage, can't you? Whereas previously when you were hand doing it, you were doing a lot of like painting the fabric first and treating it and kind of having that as your substrate. That was the word I thought of the other yeah, day. Yeah, I, I, I mean, at, at first when I was doing the rug cooking, I did, it was completely full and everything, you know, basically the whole surface was covered. And then I kind of would back off and do, you know, op more open spaces. Um, but yeah, with the gun, it's, you know, it, I remember when I first thought, I didn't even know that tufting guns existed until seriously like 2019 or something. I just didn't, <laughs> I would see stuff and be like, how are they doing that by hand? I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I kept thinking, if I saw anything that was done that way, I would think, what am I doing wrong that I can't get as much done, you know, because I'm thinking I'm working as fast as I can and I'm, I've been told I'm pretty fast, but, um, but yeah, I didn't. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, I, that makes sense. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get this tufting gun and it's going to make my life easier. It's going to be so much faster. And in some ways it is, like if you're doing just solid blocks of color, it's fast. But what I ended up doing is just getting more and more detail packed in. So it didn't really like, it, I don't know, it, it's still like the same. It's still a lot of time. It did, I didn't really save myself time. I just got more dense and more mm. like the space is more and more fractured and crazy. And so even in the last year, when I look at older pieces, I'm like, I would never have this huge thing of color now. And like, that would be broken up. I would find a way to like connect things. And um, yeah, so I think it's going to keep getting more complicated and take longer. Yeah, because when you see, you know, you see lots of videos on Instagram, don't you, of people doing whatever tufted rugs and, you know, yeah. they get like 600 million views or whatever. And to me, it's, it's a bit like reminiscent of doing like big graffiti pieces and using fat caps and just getting big, basic shapes up there whereas yours are a lot more refined and so i mean is there is the process quite slow are you like because because you can bang it out can't you but then do you take quite a lot of time and be quite measured because you were saying like the ideas are unfolding in your head as you go yeah i mean I, it, it's uh i can it just it kind of just depends on on like the piece but i do think that more and more it's getting harder to just do like this the big spaces like I think I'm I'm making yeah I'm making decisions to, to kind of uh break things up more so it is it is still like slower and even if I have the tufting gun I'm going like in shorter chunks mm. and it's a little bit more um you know intricate so I go a little like I'm not just you know you see the videos yeah. where everyone's just even those ones with the compressor and it's just jamming along but I go like kind of little like little spurts of the dun, 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 dun. and so mm. I'm really kind of using it and it's still like you know because you're holding it it's like it is physical I mean so to, your uh, triceps must be epic they're like I used to be I don't know it's not that Dude, good I used to be in better bad. shape <laughs> but yeah I mean it's like it is hard I think that other people I know who talk about it yeah maybe it's my traps that's what I got going on yeah yeah, holding yeah. It like monkey that. shoulder <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like the bodybuilders no it doesn't it doesn't translate into anything that's that exciting looking but yeah I, I think I have the stamina in some weird way but at the same time I eventually like when I'm working a long time I have to be like wait a minute take a break and then uh every now and then like get a massage where somebody can just really like you know mm. mess me up and like step on my back or something because it ends up like you know you get a lot of shoulder like tension and there's knots and stuff that um so I have to it is you have to be kind of careful so that's why I tend to, I'll, I'll work with the gun for a while and then I'll work on other things to try to make sure that, um, that I'm not doing some sort of damage or, you know, carpal tunnel is probably down the line somewhere, but I'm going to try to make sure I, you know, 
stave it off moved a little on, bit. Moved on to different yeah. medium by then. What's interesting, though, is that you're, you're using the gun more like a brush, aren't you? You're just making smaller and smaller, smaller, and smaller strokes and just kind of like getting more intricate with the pieces. So it's almost yeah, like there's yeah. a transition I mean, I, I think there. Like the, you know, there's kind of like relationship to me, like pointillism, you know, with um, adding, mm. you know, stippling and this kind of stuff. And, and I think of, you know, the yarn is like, that's my palette. So, you know, I have a pretty big range of color. Um, but I think that's also from just like having it, you know, if you have a, like a palette to make a painting, you might, you wouldn't put like every single color available or whatever on it. That would, I don't think, but because I can just look and have like the whole floor full of different colors of yarn, like it, it makes it like that so that I can make these decisions and, and bring in color maybe a lot more boldly than, you know, that that's probably where I get my, my, uh, the, the big color palette that I have, or just the kind of like the use of color that's so important and kind of, you know, really all over the place. <laughs> it's like every color you- is in every piece in a way. Do you ever like limit yourself? Do you ever sort of say, I am going to only go like 25 colors or do you just go every time all bets are off? I'm just going to feel it. Yeah, out? I've done a couple. I've done three now that have been like more um, like I did one that was red, you know, like a range of red tones. And then the one was a blue and I have a green one. So I've, sometimes I thought like, well, maybe I'll just like kind of t- not like just have having that framework and having, um, and it's a lot, it's a lot faster because I only have so many to choose from. I think a lot of my time, if I'm, you know, thinking of it, it's like deciding and I'm just always squinting and looking around and going like, you know, where like holding yarn up and it's a, like some of those decisions, um, actually take some time. So when I've done the, the more limited ones, um, with a more limited palette, I, I'm always like, Oh, that actually took less time. Cause I only have like, I don't know, 15 colors to choose from you know, yeah. um, and but I like it. Like... I mean, I like the effect and it, it makes it much harder to see. I think I sent you a couple or maybe just one, that one that's called four birds. It's all red, um, mm. and pink and, and whatever, like th- those, that one is almost harder to read in a way. I like it. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's still clearly your style, but because you've like limited yourself, I wonder whether they're quite good almost to break up the other things, you know, like palette cleansing sorbets that you have in restaurants, yeah. you know, whether they kind of serve that function in a way. Yeah, yeah, it can be because, I mean, even also I've started to work a little smaller. Like I have a frame that's like 26 by 22. And so just having something that's more manageable and I can like get get my head around it and, and it doesn't take me three weeks. Like these ones, I love these big ones, but it's they can get a little overwhelming and um, and it can feel a little bit, especially with this heat, I'm like, how long uh, is it going to take? But um, so, yeah, I like these smaller ones and, and, and just having they're more like a, a study or it makes me focus in like the, the smaller ones are just just heads. Like it's just a face because I want to keep the scale the same. I want to keep it like body size. Um, so I don't want to like make a mini world. I just want to like zoom in a bit. Um, but that can be nice because it just allows me to kind of like hone in and, and really do those details and, and get maybe even like more expressions. Like I like the smaller ones, like the, I really like when that, when I can actually achieve like a, a look that I would make, you know, mm-hmm. which is harder because you're working on the back. So sometimes, you know, I'm working on the whole thing. And then when I finally flip it around, oh, yeah. then I'm like, Oh yeah, that it's hard. You don't actually know what it looks like. And then you have to kind of like pull stuff out and put it back and trim. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how a face 
you know, like what, what looks back at you afterwards. It's not really what you think. Cause the back will look one way. The front looks different. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a kind of alchemy to that. I mean, are you always checking or do you just sometimes go big session and then turn I around usually, and hope I mean, for the I best? I kind of sneak behind. It's kind of hard. And, um, so that even with the small one, weirdly, I didn't, um, I didn't look at it. I remember thinking like, again, it's like, what is going on in my head? But I didn't look at it, even though it's much easier. It's small. I can turn it around anytime, but I didn't do it until I was almost done. Like, I don't know how many, like the last half an hour. And then I was like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, I still have to like tweak it a little bit, but I like, I kind of like the surprise or I kind of like that alchemy or that sense of not really entirely being in control and this kind of like, you know, yeah. who's, who's who, <laughs> Yeah. Um, like who's in charge. Yeah. No, because that's great, isn't it? Because you, you, otherwise you run the risk of editing yourself. And in some ways that will stop the flow that will like redirect it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like the, some of the, yeah, some of the good stuff that happens from being direct. I mean, it, there's always a stage where I'm like, I've made a terrible mistake. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't like this thing. Like I'll get upset about it. Every single piece, no matter which one I'm working on, I think like there's a point where I'm like, oh God, like I'm 20, 30 hours into this. I didn't think this through. This is going to be bad or awkward or like, why did I choose this composition or anything like that, you know? Um, and then just pushing through and just being like, part of it is it's like, yeah, you're well, you know, you made this bed, like this is it. So it is in some ways like, yeah, pushing through that anxiety or that um, sense of doubt. And and then, yeah, you just, I can always change. I mean, every now and then I'll pull, pull some stuff out, but mostly it stays like once I'm, once I put it in there, like I probably pulled out maybe like three square feet total so far where I'll just decide like, oh, this, this isn't working, but, um, but not, not too often. So I really no, that feels... stick with my ideas, <laughs> good or bad. Yeah. That feels like the right approach though, doesn't it? Because it's, it's, it's like that conduit thing. It's like, it's not necessarily for you to say who's right because you're just being in the edge of the creative space and just, you're just doing it and yeah. whoever's it thing that you're doing. That's, that's what I mean. That was what I was talking about at the start about like folk art and stuff. It's not to try and pigeonhole it, but it's that thing of like storytelling and storytelling mm -hmm. about cultures that we don't understand, but we are a part of. And it's how mm -hmm. you interpret those stories that come through you. I did an interview a while ago with um, a couple of Maori artists who create crocheted installations and gods. And they've got this entire temple that they've made and it's made out of like neon crochet. And they're, storyline is always like we've got a thousand years of ancestry behind us you know and they're very connected to that sort of storyline and and that's what I felt when I was looking at your work in the first place is your upbringing you've been grounded in nature anyway and so it's yeah. like there's a there's that like, primitive isn't the right word but do you know what I mean there's like a primal connection there yeah definitely I mean I, and I think that that's where when I was I guess in grad school trying to figure out like what I want, who am I as an artist? Like I'm out of the woods. So here I am, you know, in the city, whatever. And, um, and it did feel like this discovery of this rug and, and kind of connecting to my roots. It felt like that is kind of the, the circle that I needed to actually be more authentic to like, you know, I can't really, ch you know, change my story. And, and I, and I also like, as a side note, like I, I love telling stories. I'm a big storyteller. So I like that my artwork has that capacity where there's a lot of different potential narratives. And it is like, it's like this whole 
um, winding story that that's pretty appropriate. But but yeah, like I like the idea of connecting to back to someone who's you know she died when I was twelve, but like we were really connected as kids. It's it's all part of my upbringing, and like we spent so much time together. She taught me how to draw. Like there's all these things where I wanted to almost like have a continue that conversation somehow, you know, um, and it does feel like that connection to like, even just like the labor and, you know, like the way that I work on these things and it, it does, it feels like that's where I channel my, like when you grow up on a farm and you're supposed to be working and doing stuff all the time, it's not that easy to sit and watch paint dry and then be like, I'm in graduate school for <laughs> something that like, no one cares about. And I'm like, you know, like, let's talk about art. Like it does, it does work, but part of me is more comfortable doing things too. So I can have that conversation, but I, I need to be like active and working on something. Um, and so, yeah, all those things kind of came together. And that's why I think I made such a turn away from, you know, painting into something, you know, into this whole different process. But, um, but it really fit, like it fit my personality and it fit my, um, like my work style. And then slowly I feel like it's getting more, or just in general, textiles are getting more recognition in like the art world. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel like I've done it no matter, you know, for all these years, it didn't, I kind of, felt like I wanted to do it either way. You know, it wasn't, I was going to kind of see what happened, but uh, I, it's been good that, that, um, that I'm showing more that people are starting to like pick up on, on what I'm working on and it's starting to come together. Yeah. And how do you sit, how do people respond to like tufted rugs as a format? Because it still, I think has got a certain element of novelty when you look at it in a sort of yeah. big art context. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's still a lot of hesitancy in terms of like, I mean, people usually when they see it, there's, there's not a, there's not a problem. They're not overanalyzing it. It's like, oh, I, this is, well, I like it. Or they, you know, maybe they don't, I don't know. But, but then there's like the other element, which is like, what will the collectors think? Is this like <laughs> yeah. craft, you know, can we, um, can we like get away with this or something? Or is it, is it serious or all these kinds of things? And, and is it archival and, and all those kind of questions? And, and I don't think that same, uh, conversation is happening definitely around a lot of other um, forms of art, but I think it's starting, I think once it gets a little bit more mainstream and there's, there's some big time artists that are working, you know, in textiles now. So I think it's starting to get more in the conversation and then that's just the art world. And then once everybody can agree or some people get on board, then it, it just snowballs a a bit more, but yeah, there's definitely over the years been a lot of hesitancy or people that, um, like I've shown everywhere and people would like it, but then no one will buy anything because they're just like, well, it's not a painting. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I know. But maybe it is, or, ah, you know, so it's not been, it's not been the easiest. I mean, I've always had a, another job and, um, and so that's, that's how I've been able to, to manage. And it's just like being a bartender and yeah, basically since I've been in Los Angeles, I've been a bartender and like worked at a restaurant and stuff like that. It just makes it makes me smile because it's like you know I've I've been around and I've had the conversation about like art versus craft versus design so many times and you know there is this sort of like structure that you see and it's it's 
it's funny how, yeah, certain things, you know, put a light bulb in the ceiling and throw a bit of paint on it and it can be art. But what you're doing, people would really scratch their heads at to put in the same category. Yeah. And it's like, it's just some weird technological boundaries that they set on things. But what I love is even if you go, all right, you know, cross stitch is art or machine embroidery is art, then you go tufted rugs is art and people are like, no, but but what? <laughs> like, it's almost yeah, like, yeah. and I love it because your, your success just really pushes at the edge of that for other people you know and it just it starts to dispel some of these structures I think with the way people have to accept it yeah yeah I mean it's like people will like find a mummy that's like wrapped in fabric from however many years ago and then they're like wait is this archival and I'm like yeah <laughs> there's like <laughs> you know fabric a lot of the it'll last forever this acrylic yarn and everything it it is um but yeah but um some painting that you know is oil on top of acrylic on top of oil on top of acrylic and, and nobody's even looking at that they don't think about it or you know i don't know how archival drawings are but no one it, there's a different appreciation and it's just a it's a funny um a funny thing so yeah i mean i think with the tufted yarn it is it is it's it is tricky because it's like yes there's this more of a like craft element or you know people can make you know um you can walk all kinds it. of different things that might not be in the same realm but the same way you can have a there's like drink and paint companies where you just paint a wine glass, pour it into another wine glass. Like no one's talking about, like, I don't care that it can exist too. We can all have all these things at the same time. Like if your mom wants to get drunk and paint a sunset, I'm not like saying that now painting is fucked. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 what I'm yeah. doing is different, you know? And I, and I like, and I like it. And I think that it translates. And I think the texture, the, the way that um, it reads, I think the hard thing is, in the age of the internet, you can't really see all these specific the age of the internet. I'm so old, but like, you know, like Instagram or something like when something's two inches on a screen or whatever, you can't get the sense of like how it actually looks or feels or, or operates. So that can be a disadvantage um, in terms of like how people see my work, but in real life and stuff, it, it, it's totally different. And I think it's captivating enough to be on the same stage as some, you know, I'm, I see a lot of art 100%. and I think, you know, put me in. <laughs> I'm a contender. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Like this is why I'm excited to be doing this podcast and stuff. Cause I'm like, if they're not paying attention, I'm going to pay attention. And then at yeah. some point we'll just blow the doors off the thing, you know, yeah. um, talk about the size of your work then just, I mean, on, on an average, say those pieces behind you, what kind of size are they then? Um, so like, so like the, this one behind me is a little over six feet. So I don't know how it would be like right. you know life life size basically and and similarly like width about is about um five feet so i do want it to be like um yeah similar size to my body and it is a funny thing because i'm looking when i'm working on it, it it does like measure up where i'm looking like at a face that is the size of my face essentially um so that that's like the bigger ones i have um a narrower one that, but it's still about the same height. So I'm, I'm trying to do, yeah, the height thing is important. And then it's whether or not how much I can fit around the figure. And then I have the, a smaller, small one, um, that like, yeah, just like, it's basically like which, which part of the body that I'm going to kind of focus on, but yeah. And yeah. are they heavy? Well, yeah. I mean the frames, it's like these frames are two by fours and then, the, you All know, right. there's this, carpet tack thing on the edge so it's kind of this it is again with the slapstick whatever but like trying to like this one having to like flip this one um behind me it can operate upside 
like either way. So I had to flip it around in order to get it to be a different um, orientation so I could work on it also um, on the bottom and in whatever. So it is like, they are, they are clumsy. I try not to move around too much. And so, yeah, in terms of like looking at the front and the back, that kind of plays into it. I'll, I'll kind of prop it up and sneak behind it and I can kind of look, but, um, but there is something to be said for like the, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely like, um, heavy to, to, to move around and shuffle around a little bit. Yeah. You're never going to go, I think I'll just take that and finish it at home. No, I can't. I know. I know I can't do it. I have to be in this, this hot room, but, um, so, I mean, a smaller one I thought about, but then I have to move everything, all my yarn. It's like, it would be, it would be complicated. So in the end, I end up just staying here later if I, you know. <laughs> That's just, what I was wondering, yeah. Are you yeah, like, I'm, whether you'd be like, I'm no, done, six o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Like when it's, when it's done, it's done. And then I just have to get away from it too, you know, um, and yeah, shut it down for the day. And then maybe at home I'll draw or something. That's usually when mm. I come up, like my, my sketches for a piece are really pretty stupid. Like they're really small and kind of like scrappy and it's just the kind of getting the general idea. Um, so I don't know if I have one handy. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like they yeah, do exactly. with like tattoos and with comic books, isn't it? You just put in like the blobs kind of in the right place. Cause that's what's yeah. in your head. Yeah. right? Yeah. So I have like a sketchbook that's like, I don't know, four inches by whatever, three inches. And then I'll scribble in there when I'm at home and then, you know, work it out here. Um, but that's where I get a lot of like, that's where my drawing time I feel like is when I'm kind of half in something, like I'm watching a movie or something. And again, it's like, can't just do that. I have to do something else. So I'll, I'll work on, on that, um, on that other stuff I'm drawing. And have you got, so have you got at this point in time, have you got like a few ideas planned for the future or does it like one in one out kind of situation? Yeah, I think I, I, I have like two more ideas. So I, I, yeah, I usually like one or two ahead so that, yeah, I'm working on one. I guess I'm finishing one, which is a pain. It's just like the last maybe 10 hours of this one. And then I have a couple frames just in the side eye where I, um, where I'm just kind of looking at them and I, and I have, yeah, I have some idea. Um, so yeah, maybe one or two ahead. And then I don't know, someday I would like to work on a really big one. Um, but I have, I would have to have a, a plan for that. Somebody would have to an yeah, because I, I, I would want to do something that would, you know, maybe 10 feet, but, you know, larger, 12, 16. Um, yeah. But, and would but you yeah, ever, like, things... would you ever do well, components? So, say, for instance, if you've got your six-feet panels there, would you ever go, I need to do something 36 feet square and just have, like, you know, multiple panels? Or do you feel like each piece is its own thing and it's done and it can't really bolt onto another piece? Yeah, that's an idea. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really thought it through because, yeah, maybe it would be better to have like, you know, like six sections that I could then, you know, just even for like logistics. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that would be hopefully, yeah, that could be, I don't know. Now I'm thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, we might have just unlocked you now all of a sudden. Like, and next like, year it'll be like, do you remember off. when Lee filled an aircraft hangar with tufted <laughs> rugs? We were like, yeah, that was a good day. Do you think, so when you look back at the stuff you did by hand, obviously that was a lot slower and you didn't, you couldn't get the kind of coverage that you have now. Do, do you ever feel like you want to go back to that or is that done? Do you feel like it's run its course? 
Well, yeah, like the rag rug hooking stuff. Um, I think that, you know, it, it, it still took a long time. It's kind of, it took a long time. It actually seems it took less time, honestly, than, than um, some of these big ones, but I was able to, I couldn't get as much detail because the, the width of the stitch was thicker. So it's like this cut fabric. And so I guess maybe it's like a half inch or something thick. So now that I can compress or get, get more um, stitches, like let's say per square inch, I can get a lot more information and different details in there. So I feel like that is something that I'm really drawn to now. Like I, I want to increase that um, uh, capability. And, and so maybe going back to a thicker stitch at this point, I don't, see it for a little bit mm. but i don't know i mean like i also like i like that older work and i like um that the ability to like paint and you know um hook fabric so i feel like it might just like come up later in a different yeah it'd know, be I'm interesting thinking, like, won't it? insulation or something yeah it'd be interesting when you like iterate back and how what you've done now is then influenced by that whether there's a mashup or like you say because you've become more nuanced and you're using your tools in more refined ways maybe going back to that just isn't going to work because it's almost like going from painting to like starting using a roller all of a sudden again you know and it's a completely different story yeah yeah it's hard to know i mean it's it's i still feel like even though i guess i've been doing this i was thinking the other day i've been when I consider myself a painter and I was painting, you know, whatever, I've been doing this longer. I think that was maybe 10 years, you know, let's say from like 20 to like 32, I was, you know, a painter. And then, and then from like, now I'm 44. So I don't know, like it, I think I've been doing this a bit longer. So in that time, you know, like how much ground I've covered or how many different ideas I've flushed out and worked out. So, I mean, who knows in another 10 what will happen. I mean, it's, mm. I think the the good thing that I've noticed is just like how generative I'm, you know, still using basically like two processes or two different kinds of materials and like the, the, the different variations on, on that have, have, haven't really stopped. Like I've never felt like, um, like I'm stuck or that I don't have any options or something or like, you know, cause people have asked me like, well, will you ever paint again? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously I could with a rag rug cooking, I was doing some element of painting, but I haven't actually made like a physical stretcher bar, like made a painting in a long time. But then you're yeah. applying color to a surface. So it's like you are painting, you're just not painting. Yeah. Paint. Yes. Yeah. But like going back to like, you know, those traditional, methods like i don't know i mean maybe but i don't really right now i'm like i don't have time i gotta do this and stuff yeah 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 Yeah. and it's a big bit of flow there um have you got any like pro tough rug tufting hang on what is it tufting gun what would the term be pro rug tufting i'm trying to think now because it's rag rugging and then is it rug tufting or tufted rug making um let's see did you do yeah like a tufted rug maker i usually i usually just say like textiles or like uh you know um sometimes i've said like fabric paintings if i'm trying to illustrate the the relationship but um but yeah i don't know i don't know i might be a pro tufter have you got any tufting tips for beginners that was where i was going with that line of inquiry oh um don't get your finger in the grinding wheel of it that is a terrible idea when I first got the gun and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was, I watched a couple of videos, but I didn't really watch them totally through. Cause you know, it's kind of, Oh, I got it. And, um, 
there's no housing on the gun. So it's kind of, I mean, I think they do make ones now that are enclosed and that's nice and probably smart. But yeah, when I first started, I don't know what I did, but I accidentally hit the switch and pulled the trigger and, you know, and so my thumb got jammed in there and it just, I mean, it grew back weirdly. I don't know. They're just like a chunk was just gone. And that was, I was crying and I was like, I hate this thing. That was early on. I was like, I'm not working with this. Cause I, I mean, when you're doing the rug hooking by hand, it's all analog. Like it, you don't, mm. I can think about anything. I can lose track of time. I'm not really having to like you know, there's no danger involved. And then with this thing, I'm like, oh, this is actually like, this thing is on and it is, um, yeah, a slightly dangerous, but, but you just, I mean, one of my friends, when I told her about that, she's like, you just do that once. It only happens one time. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think, and then keep your gun oiled. You don't want to, I think that the thing that's tricky is, relying on a machine i i found that like every now and then i i've had one break and then trying to get them fixed or trying to you know watch these boring videos on how to fix them it drives me crazy so like it is hard to when you have deadlines and when like you're really in the flow of something and then something happens like before i never had that problem i could just work i mean the lights could go out i'm fine but here like i need there's certain things you need and you need the thing to work so i'm i guess i'm more careful with it than i um initially was like Sometimes I would leave it, you know, hanging on the edge of a chair and walk away. And now I'm like, hello, my child. Like, yeah. are you precious. Like, I'm just trying to be a little bit more careful because when it doesn't work or I broke, you know, one of them, I just went face down and busted this piece off. And I was like, I'm, you know, it was such a high cost for us, for my. Um... How many guns have you got? Oh, I mean, I think I have, well, I have three, but like two don't work. And then, um. One is in the mail. I don't know how to, yeah, there's certain things that I have to like, it's hard because with the, I guess the supply chain of like where they actually come from, you can't really get replacement parts as much as you'd think. And it's a whole thing. So I, I feel like eventually I might have like a Frankenstein gun. That's like one that, that is just for parts. And then. And it, have you taken them apart? Like, do you understand their like inner workings and stuff? I try not to. I have a friend who's better at that because it can be a slippery slope. When I've watched videos, sometimes they'll have like, they'll print out a sheet and then so it has these little outlines where you put all the things and it. it's kind of complicated and I don't trust my, you know, like myself to necessarily put it back together correctly. So I've, I can make a couple of modifications, but to totally um, redo them, I'm, I'm uh, hesitant. So yeah, so right now... Um, I have one that works great, one that has got some, it's a little glitchy, and then one that's just busted. But I'm still <laughs> keeping it around because I don't know. I feel like I'll need it for something. It's like know. a very old dog. I'm just, I just stroke it every now and again. Yeah, <laughs> and it's my first one. So, but I mean, yeah, in, in the course of a few years, I mean, that shows you something like it. I guess I use it a lot, you know, so there's some element, but I'm, I'm just trying to take care of them and really, um, pay attention. I also just take a photo when I, when I first got it to be like, this is how it's supposed to look because sometimes it can just be these little small, like this screw is a little bit undone. And I'm like, how would I know that? You know? So I, I just took a photo and, and it's like, that's what it's supposed to look like. So I can at least have something to, to work mm. back towards. <laughs> do you always get like the same brand of gun or do different no, guns have no, different I like mean, nuances? Yeah. I, I mean, even like the, the companies that I ordered from, like, they have different models now. So, I mean, there, there's some inconsistency. 
Um, so I'm trying to get the same one every time now so that it's, you know, something I know, but yeah, I think, I mean, I guess if, if I have a few, I don't feel bad. And then I can also have somebody, if they, if I need somebody to help me or, um, maybe I'll teach a class or something and have a couple around to, to work with, but, um, but yeah. Cause it's quite a new technology in the scheme of things, isn't it? The guns themselves so. not really that old. It's not like yeah, you're going to get some I mean, trusty 1970s version that will last until eternity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I don't think they have that. I mean, I, I know the motor is made in Japan, so that's promising. But like all the other stuff, I mean, I don't know. I think they're kind of thrown together. And because they've gotten more popular, I think definitely during the pandemic, it got really popular. And so there's a lot of different versions out there and, and crappier ones, you know, that, that aren't as... Um, High performing so you got to kind of fish around like you know don't maybe don't get the cheap if my yeah my tuft and tip is like maybe don't get the cheapest one because it'll show up it'll have like weird no instructions and it will be kind of like complicated to um like if it doesn't work there's no recourse you're just writing some um province in china kind of thing you part of any always... you part of any communities do you have like peer support for this kind of technique yeah, a little bit. My friend uh, Svetlana Shurgoff is um, does tufting, and she actually uses cut fabric in her tufting gun. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a combination between the rug hooking and and um, tufting in the in this way visually. Um, but she's pretty handy, and she's helped me out a lot just to like troubleshoot. And then yeah, I have another friend who I've met recently, Hannah Knight uh, Layton, who's um, who does tufting and and like. We, we talk shop a little bit, but mostly I don't have too, too many problems. You know, I think I worked through the range and now I'm, I'm kind of like in the clear, I hope. I feel like sometimes though, it's always good to have someone who you can talk specifically about like your technology, yeah. you know, just cause they won't glaze over in the same way as your dearly, you know, your loving family. Just like, oh, she's talking about the guns again or whatever. No, we talk about, yeah, like getting together and, and like, yeah, it's good to just even see how we're set up and like how we use yarn and like how we store it. And what do we like? I don't know, like different processes of like keeping it because mostly the I, big issue for me, it's just stupid, but it's like I got a lot of cords and then there's yarn. And so like things get caught and there's just like these practical things that you can do to kind of like, you know, make your studio life easier. But because I tend to make so many decisions and change my yarn, like a hundred times a day. Some of that stuff is just going to be something I struggle with. Cause I'm like, change, change, change. You know, most people would do one color at a time and, and it's a little more organized. And, um, that's just, I change it as quickly as I, I mean, I just look, I don't know how to describe it, but it's basically like, I'll work on something for a little bit and then notice something else and change and change and change. And, and um, and so that can, I can, kind of make a chaotic studio pretty quickly yeah so yeah it's not going to be good if you're sitting there stroking because you numerically ordered them and you're like now where was number five four eight yeah some people do that i know they like have it all like they project it and then it's all numbered or they have it all like drawn out and then they can just um fill in and it's like a Hmm. plan but that's not how i think there's a guy called Ian Berry, and he makes um, art from denim. And so all of his work is just different shades of blue. But his entire oh, studio, yeah. it's just all over the floor because it's the only functional way for him to be able to like yeah, to look at his all. whole yeah. palette at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it works. Are there other artists of a similar vein who you admire? 
you've mentioned a couple of people. Um, yeah, I like um, Melissa Monroe. She's in Portland, I think. Um, her stuff is really great. Direct. She makes all these, I mean, even like furniture and these masks and all, um, and also wall hanging pieces. But her, she can build out like a whole insane um, installation. I think she's rad. Um, uh, let's see. In terms of like textile, like, well. Simone Elizabeth is someone who um, does tufting. Yeah. I mean, she's Black Nouveau. pretty awesome. I feel like she's pretty well known in in very yeah detailed. Um, and then yeah, Hannah Knight Layton and Svetlana Shurgoff. Um, and then in terms of just like textile people, Erin um, Leanne Mitchell is somebody that I've just known, uh, just found. And then Christina Foyer does uh, or Foer does um, like like loom weavy inside and i really like her she's a i think originally she's swiss but lives in los angeles um yeah those are some people that i that i think about and then i am also like always just looking at painters on um too so there's like a whole nother you know but for the sake of this podcast the textile people (laughs) uh, get the attention yeah no 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 go on who else who's really floating your boat um my i like well see i tend to like paintings that look like textiles in a way so like my friend um helen rebecca garber is a painter who you know um they're just thick and they they, you know it's like applied in a way that looks like it's woven um and i i just always really loved her approach and the fact that it doesn't read one specific way um yeah i mean i gotta i can't even think of so that's many. almost like she's almost like you you two have got a bit of a yin yang thing going on because obviously your work doesn't read as being what it's made of at first yeah, class yeah. and certainly not online as well so yeah. there's a bit of sort of trickery yeah and like i have a few of her paintings we did a trade and i have a few of her paintings in my house and people will say is that yours and i'm like no you know but it's it's like i can see why you would make that association because it is something that looks like it's um yeah, it looks like another material basically when it's that, um, and they're heavy and they're thick and and like, um, yeah, she's great. Um, but yeah, it's like they're like fables. That's what I was thinking because the way you tell the stories, there's so much that's open to people's interpretation. So they are a bit like fables, right? And then mm-hmm. the technology you're using throws people off the scent as well. So it's almost like there's another layer there. It's almost like the technology is a bit of a fable as well. So it's almost like they're kind of like yeah. On well, I like I like the fact that. Honestly, when when I look at something that I've made at the when I'm finished or whatever, and it's like you can't really quite see the whole thing. Like there's something about them that like there's these little snaps. It's like you know your attention kind of goes from either small to big and in and out or foreground to background or figure to you know. There's all these different ways that it kind of like operates on your eyes and your brain, so that you're kind of still trying to figure it out every time you look at it or something. And then and I so I like that it's like what am I looking at is and you, you can't quite get a hold of it and then also like when people say like what is this or like what material is this or one time I had a friend um and he's a curator and he came over to do a studio visit and he's like oh I thought these were and we talked for you know a while I mean I knew him for at least a year at that point I'd see him around and then and then when he came to my studio he's like oh I I thought these were paintings and I was like "Ooh, <laughs> ha tricky you know like that's, <laughs> that's cool pounds, that like please. that it didn't that it didn't work like that. Like, I think there is like the artist is a trickster. These things should be tricky. And I, and I like that it's not, um, sort of 
easily resolved. And then it makes you think like, whoa, how is it a painting or what is a painting and what is a textile? You know, like all those things. I mean, that's, that's fun to, to think about, you know? Yeah, yeah. Definitely keeps you guessing. It's good. I'm going to pivot onto some uh, very narrow questions now as I dive into my uh, section uh, where I ask you, do you have a favorite album? Favorite album? Hmm. Let me think. Ah, boy. I can't think. Like, I think I had one in my mind last night, but I can't think of one at the moment. Let me see if it'll come to me. I mean, do you listen to music when you work in? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I tend to listen to like the same, like I'll listen to like the same song over and over if I'm really trying to, because sometimes even if I listen to, you know, scramble my playlist and stuff, and then something will be, annoying, ah, I don't like that one, and I'll, it'll be almost a distraction. So if mm-hmm. I listen to like one song over and over, like that can kind of like Brian Eno or something, I'll just listen to like one, yeah. like, I like the song I'm Set Free, Fickle Sun. Like, I'll just listen to that one, like, maybe 10 times or something. And I'm like, okay. And then I'll <laughs> maybe listen to, like, Lamb Chop or something or some, or, like, old music that I don't have to think about, like Bjork or, like, stuff from when I was younger and it's really familiar. Um, I kind of like, I kind of like revisiting, like, older songs and then be like, you know, maybe I listened to it as a teenager and now I'm like, oh, I'm an adult and I'm in my studio. And it kind of puts you in this old headspace of like mm, remembering things because they're so triggered to memory. So I, like if I listen to like, yeah, something from from my youth, like Bjork, I'll be like, it reminds me of all these other stories and all these other visual things that come into my mind. And then uh, and then that kind of puts me in a headspace where I'm not. I don't know. It's like, yeah, not thinking and not thinking and like. You sort of, it slightly disassociates you, doesn't it? It gives you, it stops you being you right now. It puts you to being you somewhere else, which is probably a useful tool for the whole yeah, flow. Yeah, yeah. I once had to yeah, do... Yeah, it's, like uh, it's a way of like distracting yourself, yeah. Yeah, I once entered a competition and I had to do this thing for a deadline and it meant I had to spend the whole weekend doing this cross-stitch. So like for two days solid, I was doing it. And there was this... Uh, in like BBC radio show where a guy who was a world champion snooker player had in the 1980s become well known for prog rock and alternative music. And he played this oh. like three hour music of like left field prog rock stuff. And I listened to that for the entire weekend because it was just yeah. what I needed, you know, when you just need to be in a bit of a weird headspace to like push on through something. Do you have a favorite book? Um, Let me think. I like, so one book I, I remember, like Confederacy of Dunces, was a was a book that I like really. Do you know that book, John Kennedy O'Toole? Mm-hmm. Um, I always loved that book, and then I also, and that that's an author that has this whole there's this kind of whole mythology and story around him because he died before the book was published, and there's this whole kind of like um, uh, story about his mom getting the book published, and then I found out later that my uncle was a good friend of this author randomly. Like th- this guy didn't really know that many people, so there's. I, that book is funny and, and wild and bizarre. And then um, I also like, you know, things that are like have some relationship to history. So like the the library book by Susan Orlean, which is about like the central library fire in Los Angeles, but it also mm-hmm. like goes into the history of libraries. So there's this, you know, historical nonfiction thing going on that, um, that is interesting because it, it reads or like people like Eric Larson who write, 
you know, like the devil in the white city where it's about like the Chicago world's fair, but it's also about this crazy serial killer, H.H. H. Holmes. So it's like, you know, this real turning point at the, at, at the turn of the century where um, so much, so many things were happening at the same time. And, and um, so you get kind of like two stories that it reads, it's a really intriguing book. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff that he writes is like that where it, breaks down like a few historical events um but they read like almost like a mystery and so, like, with, so like nice. with the library system because obviously first there were no books then there was print and then there were libraries and suddenly libraries were like here's all the books here's all the history but in some ways i guess at that point there was a mass editing of like history or something wasn't there because there would have only been certain books at certain things well right i mean one of the things she talks about in the book is like how um how as a as a like as a move in in war like burning down a, a country's library that would erase their history and so mm. i think it was like in senegal they say if someone when someone dies that their library is burned um that was something that i think she wrote in that book and um so especially now you know we're talking about like in america <laughs> currently this mm-hmm. whole movement and it's so bizarre and, and strange it's like this death cult of idiots that are trying to like take out any books that they don't seem to, I don't, they don't even understand what's happening. So it's crazy that they even think that they know what these books are about. It's crazy. But then that's where we're at is like banning books and like what books can be taught and who can, who's in the stories. And, you know, it just drives me crazy. So that's, I think it seems prescient in that way as well as like what, yeah, who controls information and knowledge and who writes the books yeah. Despite the uh, obvious flammability of your work, I'd like to see them try and burn your work because I don't necessarily think they'd be able to work out whether they should or not. It would take a lot of <laughs> pondering. Or It'll melt to their face. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite film? Um, I, when I was thinking about that the other day, I was like, there's so many that it's hard for me to like favorite anything. I'm always like this or this or this or this, you know, but um, mm-hmm. Pee Wee's Big Adventure was a, was a real classic for me growing up. I think that <laughs> I just remember like loving that book. And, and every time, you know, that, that scene where the dinosaurs, where he's like works in the diner and Simone and everybody, and then he has to like work off his dinner. Um, then like the, they're up in the dinosaurs at Cabazon, which is on, it's not far really from Los Angeles. So Every time I pass through there, I'm thinking, oh, Pee-wee. <laughs> so <laughs> that one really, I don't know, it's something about like the, yeah, the comedy of that and, and this idea of like when you're an adult, what your life will look like. I think I really like got excited about that when I was a little kid. <laughs> and then, I mean, like I love Agnes Varda and yeah. And then like Murmurs is a great movie about Los Angeles and about the murals in Los Angeles and just the storytelling that happens around those and. And I also like Battle for Algiers. <laughs> if, if, if I was doing a more serious one, I mean that movie's insane. So those those three fully all over the place. But um, but yeah, I don't think I have favorites of anything, unfortunately. That's or cool. I don't know. I like to that stay open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that adds up. I'd imagine your favorites are very much at this point in time, and then next week it would be an entirely different thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it kind of is like where you're where you're at. You know, I feel like I've not like I've lived like 10 lives, but in some ways I have. And so like there's different moments of different times of my life where things have resonated differently. And I and I. Yeah. So I can't I can't like I can't decide. 
You've walked yeah. plenty of paths. I didn't even get to ask you because you've been, you spent time in Amsterdam and you spent time in London. I didn't even ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah, I did a semester abroad in London when I was in school, when I was about 19. And then, and then I, after college, I moved to Chicago and then I moved to Amsterdam and then I moved back to Wisconsin and then I moved to New Jersey and, the, you know, so, and now I've been in LA the longest. So that's, that's interesting because I feel like I do actually live here now or that this is like where I've put my brakes on a little bit, um, to stay. Um, but yeah, definitely like lots of different stages and different, um, different lives. But, but I think that that's kind of been my, that it's not been a bad thing. It's not like I, it's not like I'm running from the law, but I just like just (laughs) kind of changed my mind, but you know, just kind of like working. And I think maybe the idea of like what it is to be an artist and not be dialed that, you know, I didn't have like a career path where it's like, okay, here, here are the steps. And then you sit with that job for 30 years. I think from an early age, I just didn't have like, maybe for better or worse, I didn't really have an idea of what that would look like. So I kind of just did, you know, live like, uh, with a little bit more open idea of what success was or what, like, what, uh, and usually just for me, success is like being, happy and content and busy and, and like have, having good friends and, and whatever. So that's kind of driven some of the decisions more than, more than like practical things. Like sometimes it's been totally impractical, but I always kind of land. Is there like, what's the most interesting thing that no one knows about you? Mm. Deep, 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 deep. I mean, I mean, I, I well, I feel like everyone knows something because I never stop telling stories. So I'm like, remember <laughs> time? You know, I, I tell it's like there's. I don't really have a whole lot of like secrets or whatever. I mean, uh, I mean, I was a welder and I had this business called Made of Steel for a while. I like M-A-I-D. that. I like that. What's it like to and, be a welder? Yeah, it was good. I mean, I just I made you know I, it started with the with the bully job, the redneck thing with the. Um, uh, with that gig. And then I just turned it into my own situation once he kind of flipped out. So then I, I got my own equipment and, and kept going and I just worked in my dad's old barn and we had these Belgian horses. I'd be like eight Belgian horses at the time. They're really big and they would just be in the barn. And I was so worried that they were looking at the, at the welds. <laughs> so I was trying to block them cause they kept staring at it. I was like, they're going to go blind. You know? <laughs> go blind yeah. But um, yeah, so I did that for a while. So, I mean, but it's practical because, you know, then I could fix some of my dad's farm equipment if I, you know, if I need to like fix a hitch. And I, and I think that that is a good tool to have, you know, in my skill set. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see when that starts to happen. Like with the stuff you're doing at some point, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to build a gate now. And then yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. Like a big old metal frame or something crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could definitely, and I like welding and it is kind of sewing, you know, there's like something about stitching, you know, it, when people think that women can't somehow it's like crazy to some dudes that women could weld. I mean, I don't really understand the logic, but I was always, when I would go to these rural places and pick up steel, I would be like, it's like sewing with metal. And then I'd wink and go, yeah, baby. But yeah, it's, it's (laughs) definitely something that like, it didn't, wasn't complicated. You don't actually, yeah, I won't, 
I'll get edited out for the thought. <laughs> but no, it's uh, yeah, definitely. You don't need an actual dick to weld. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The science, <laughs> the science holds up regardless of your chromosomes. I think the plasma still yeah, works, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? That's cool. Um, where can people find you to enjoy your work? Um, so I have a website. It's getting tuned up, so it's not fully like. Like it's not fully realized right now, but in the next week or two, I think it's going to be good. And then Instagram, and then I'm in a couple different, you know, shows and coming up um, in the United States. So coming up in New York, and I'm also in, I'm in two group shows in New York right now, and kind of like a lot of different. I mean, I should have made a list, but I'll I'll, I'll add the list to my website because it's a it's probably like think- four or five group shows right now that i'm in i would think that at any point whether it's in 2023 or long in the future your work's going to be on display somewhere because there's a real (laughs) momentum i think i think it's and that's why that's why it's really exciting it's really exciting for me to be able to talk to you because it's like the stuff you're doing is so like it's like raw but it isn't it's like considered but at the same time i just really love this like raw storytelling and then using materials and media that people aren't used to being seen used these ways so it's really Mm. like giving people a lot to think about and that's even before people stop and look at the work you know conceptually there's a lot to think about visually there's a lot to take in and I just Mm. I just hope people take the time to study the work and get into it because I think there's a lot to be gained from it it's just going to keep twisting your melon in all the right ways yeah I, I mean I'm excited about it I feel like it's like get I'm getting more and more um like I'm excited about each piece I feel like it to me it's getting better and better so I I have pretty good optimism uh for for what's coming ahead and yeah I mean it's it's not maybe fireproof but it's earthquake safe there's all kinds of practical things you can think about of all the of all the artworks to for to have fall on you, yours are some of the more comfortable. Yeah, and then then you just stay warm, just go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, leave. Thanks for having a needle exchange with me. Oh, thank you for sharing your needles. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on another needle exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. Love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange, that's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange, with any thoughts, comments, or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash needle exchange. See you next time. for joining me on another needle exchange i hope you enjoyed the show i'd love to hear from you so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange that's n-w-e-d-l dot exchange with any thoughts comments or feedback and if you want to keep up with all the news sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange see you next time